Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Matt Brown, in the middle of it when it comes to many things in college athletics, but outside of that, including video game with EA Sports, college football, etc., he joins us on 365 Sports. Matt, I, I hope you don't mind if I... You told me last week we couldn't do it last week at the end of the week because you were about to meet with some people. You had put your site up for someone to look at, grab, and also keep your content. Is everything good with that? Everything is good, my friends. I've, uh, I was I spent the weekend doing some traveling to finalize the sale. Great. Um, I, I think I can tell everybody here that I am being acquired by an extremely ambitious and uh, aggressive new college sports startup. I'll be able to share the name of that company on Wednesday. Um, I don't know if all the names will be uh, familiar to folks in this market. If you're in the Midwest, you might be. But by this summer, uh, if you love college football, I I, I feel very confident you're going to know my new coworkers, and I'm very excited about this new venture. It sounds like what they do is what you've already done, so it sounds like it's going to be a great match. We're proud of you and glad it all worked out. Thank, thank you very much. It's, it's a real blessing to be able to, to have some options. And the, the most important thing here is for anybody that enjoys the kind of work that I do, it's not going to change. The newsletter is still there. It's still going to be sent out. It's still covering the same stuff. I'm just going to have some more help doing more of the back-end work. Matt, um, everybody, I think the thing you've written about the most over the last couple <laughs> of years that people want to know about is EA Sports College Football coming back um what uh we i know that there was a a a leak last week of a possible date but that's not uh written in stone yet what is new on the on the game yeah the if i if i can calm any skeptics because i I get literally tweets and dms about this literally every day the game is coming out this year the plan is for the game to come out in july there was you know another individual leaked uh, a, a specific date, and that date may very well be correct. You know, I talked to multiple people at EA and on and off the record. They said, hey, that date didn't come from us. We can't confirm it. And, and the reason that EA is so hesitant to say, yeah, it's July 12th or it's July 18th is the specific date has, has nothing really little to do with the development of the actual game. Like th- then that becomes a question about like, can the trucks get to this date on time at the factory from pressing the physical CDs? And, and is, is this the exact day we want to, we want to open relative to anything else that might be coming out. So like, don't freak out that you haven't heard that, uh, that exact date. This July is the target. Um, people inside the company have told me that development is on schedule. They're really excited about it. Uh, and you should be hearing more, not just from me, but directly from the company, um, in, in the coming weeks, the, as, as the game moves into kind of code lock and they're finishing QA and doing, finishing the fine tuning and polishing, that's when you'll hear more from the company rather than, than, uh, nosy reporters like me who, uh, 
been blanketing schools with open records requests to understand the, what's going on with the game. Matt, where does the video game interest rank on the amount of feedback you've gotten for various stories over the years? Oh my gosh, this is this is number one with the bullet, right? <laughs> like n- number number two has been a lot of these realignment stories, and if you're the guy that figures out which teams join in the whack or joining, you know, leaving the the CAA or joining Conference USA, obviously those people are very excited about it. Um, a, a lot of the the more hardcore industry things have gotten me a lot of feedback within the industry. You know, like I wrote a column today and had a couple of big time ADs send me some notes and and kind of talk about it. But from the general public, more than anything else I've done in my 12 year career, it's overwhelmingly the video game. And that's, and that's not a complaint. It's just, uh, it's just funny because I'm not a video games reporter and this whole beat, this whole component of what I do kind of happened via serendipity. And, and now it's a, a big focus of my publication and I'm glad that it happened. Matt, um, in the other business of college football, the, there's more meetings about the next phase and all of that, you know, of, of breaking off and changing things and uh, making it kind of the, you know, let's just call the haves and the have-nots and, and yeah. move the haves into something else. How long do you think these meetings will take before we see at least a real plan that they would kick out to, you know, a rough draft, so to speak? On a, a rough draft that we could see and that you know had some real you know movement behind it, I think is over a year away. And, and part of the challenge in all of this uh, is that nobody's in charge, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's both a blessing, or like a real feature, and a massive bug in college football is that a lot of the people that like on paper have the most structural authority about how this sport is run are university presidents who are not very engaged in college athletics at all, many of whom like literally don't care about it. And then you have commissioners and you have athletic directors who have their own individual constituencies and fiefdoms. And then you have broadcast executives who have who care about some things and don't care about other things. And all of this is to say it just takes a long time to grow consensus. You know, Part of the reason that all of this hasn't happened already, uh, beyond the fact that you, know, you have school leaders that, that maybe don't want to sever even more historic rivalries, or they haven't figured out a, a great solution for their other sports packages, it, it's it's also there's it's not clear who's going to finance that because staying in the NCAA right now, even with all of the lawsuits and all of the frustration with Indianapolis, still presents a very compelling legal shield. And you know we we heard this from from multiple you know P five ads when there were a bunch of lead one meetings last year about hey really even pushing FBS to move. Uh, completely outside the auspices of, of, of you know, the, the current governance structure and move to something totally different. And they realized, oh my gosh, now we're going to be liable for our own insurance. We're going to be liable for, for more direct lawsuits, and that's going to increase our operating costs by $10 million plus a year. Maybe it's better to stick the rest of the NCAA, uh, stick the rest of the NCAA with that. Make Long Beach help pay for those things. So eventually the math is going to work out the other way and Alabama and Ohio state and Texas and Michigan are going to go do something else. But I don't think that's tomorrow. And I don't think it's next month. So uh, when you look at where we are, the umbrella of college athletics, the presidents, the ADs, the coaches, the players, the student athletes, now you have NIL and agents and all this other stuff. Is it sustainable where we are right now? No, I, I think on, on a lot of different levels. And I, I actually have some like real reporting on the NIL component about that this week, you know, tracking hard and fast numbers of, 
what collectives are reporting to the IRS, because since many of them are, are registered as 501c3s for some, for some reason, and, and even now, what we constantly hear from collective managers is that there's donor fatigue and that you know entities are trying to figure out how to shift their fundraising burden from eight rich guys to 8,000 people or, or 10,000 people paying 20 bucks. Um, and you're already seeing people rebel against that, right? Because it's not like the season tickets to Baylor are cheap. They're going to go to a football game and pay $4 for a bottle of water and $5 for a hot dog and 40 bucks to park uh, and all these other, and then whatever you got to donate for your personal license. And then at the end of the day, be told, listen, if you don't personally give us 500 bucks, um, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to lose to Sam Houston state. People, people are going to resent that. It's, it's, it, you know, they don't want your athletics communication sounding like it's coming from a political pack, you know, uh, and, and that kind of relentless emotional manipulation. You also have that world in the face of multiple massive lawsuits, lawsuits that could, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating for a goof, but like literally bankrupt the NCAA. Um, to, to, to say nothing of forcing enormous changes from everybody else. So like if, if there's one thing that I think virtually every stakeholder would agree on, what we're doing now doesn't make sense and we can't keep doing it forever. There's going to have to be a radical change one way or another. Um, uh, you know, Congress is part of that equation. Private equity could be a part of that conversation. I'm not saying that's a good thing, just saying that's a thing that's happening. A lot of other academics what we have in, in 2026, 2027 is not going to look like what we have now. Matt, uh, you just mentioned private equity there. There was a bit of a, like, kind of, uh, it was funny. I saw a lot of people commenting on Twitter, but uh, when the story was tweeted out about, like, could private equity kind of change college sports, right. um, you know, all those aren't created equal. You can ask Silicon Valley, like for every Google, there's a million people that were the exact opposite of Google. Um to, for people who are kind of confused at how private equity would work, um, the pros and cons of adding it to to the to the landscape of college sports. Yeah, so there's a variety of the of institutional investors that could potentially step in and offer a massive amount of liquidity to college athletics. If you're, you know, to use to use a school like Baylor or Texas Tech here as an example, you might be able to get some outside investor who could pump in a hundred million plus which would allow you to make payroll and allow you to kind of transition to a more professionalized model without necessarily having to lay a gajillion people off uh, or, you know, liquidate your stadium or some of these other things. Um, they could do that at a, at a scale that a bank can't do, or, or maybe some other investors can't do. But these kind of companies don't come in and drop a hundred, 400, $600 million out of the goodness of their hearts. And unlike the bank, right, when I, when I sign my mortgage with Chase Bank, they understand that they're not going to get their, all of their money probably for 30 years. And, and they have to be content making a relatively modest profit <clears throat> over a period of time. And when somebody like BlackRock or the Saudi Investment Fund um, or some gigantic institutional investor comes in, they're not holding an asset for 60 years hoping to make 6%. They want it to, to 10x or 20x or 50x and get out. Um, and what that happens is if it's a Google or a, a, a unicorn or some companies, it blows up and everybody gets rich. But what can also happen is, you know, the private equity comes in and skeletalizes the model because they recognize that the only way for them to get their money back on their investment is to strip things for parts. And then everything gets much worse. 
Um, the, uh, the obvious example in our world is the newspaper industry, which has been obliterated by vulture private equity firms over the last 10 years. We've seen this happen in the residential housing market. We've seen this happen in some other places. And so one of the concerns, we talked about this with Florida State, one of the concerns might be is, you know, one of these entities comes in here and they look at the balance sheet and look at how we're doing and they ask, what the hell are we doing baseball for? Baseball doesn't make us enough money. It's an inefficient distribution of capital. Let's get rid of baseball. What the hell are we doing student sections for? What, the, what are we doing general admission for? We should go be building more luxury boxes. We should be building smaller, more bespoke football experiences. Let's optimize and make everything more efficient. And that might make some people more money, but the real risk is does that strip away even more about what makes college athletics unique and special and fun? This is not a, a, big, a big secret. I'm a major critic of that model. I don't think it would be a positive thing for college athletics. And I'm hoping that's not where things eventually go, but it's a real possibility. Matt, with all these things swirling, we know that Oregon State and Washington State have kind of a two-year bubble period here based on yeah. the lawsuit with the Pac-12. We learned, I guess it was late last week, that it was, uh, I believe, Washington or Oregon State that is going to go independent in baseball. That was one of those sports that uh, hadn't been decided yet. And we also knew previously that they had come to an agreement with the West Coast Conference. You had a, a piece about that last week, diving into the particulars of that contract with OSU, WSU, and the WCC. Uh, what stood out to you, if anything? from that agreement yeah i was uh you know it was i was a little surprised that the the pack two schools don't get any money at all from the wcc not i mean they're they're actually paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to park their affiliate sports and that's not uncommon right i mean i could probably check the foil machine but i bet utah valley probably pays something to the big 12 to compete in wrestling um, that's that to help pay for officials and, and, and back-end work. But if, if, the, if Oregon State basketball goes on a run and makes the Sweet 16 in the basketball tournament, they don't get to keep it in the tournament units. They'll stay with the WCC. Like, none of the television money stays with the WCC. I am fascinated what Oregon State's baseball schedule is going to look like. And, and my understanding is like this was actually one of the hurdles and one of the reasons that those two schools didn't end up putting everything in the Mountain West, which was really the expectation a couple of months ago. Because Oregon State, as, as I'm sure listeners of this program know, they're a baseball powerhouse. Like, they're not mm-hmm. content to just make the field. They want to host a regional. They want to compete for, for a national title. And I'm, I'm pretty confident they're going to be able to get a bunch of out-of-conference games with Oregon and USC and UCLA and Stanford and some of these power conference teams that are, are trying to mitigate the number of, of trips east they have to make. But I, what, what they're going to do for weekday games, I think it's going to be fascinating. Are they going to be willing to spend some of that Pac-2 money to go buy guarantees or buy, you know, to, with like a Grand Canyon or, so, or some schools that are going to have RPI top 75? Um, are they going to end up playing Portland 12 times? <laughs> like, you know, I'm, I'm sure they're going to be good enough to make noise deep in the tournament. But what that looks like from a computer gaming perspective, I think it's going to be fascinating. I hope they're able to get a bunch – of national games, including, you know, here in Texas, including in the Southeast, because that's a great program, and I wouldn't want their athletes to have to suffer because of a decision other sports made. Matt, one more thing for me. Uh, The coaching carousel with Harbaugh leaving, but at least it's promoting from within with Sharon Moore, who was introduced over the weekend. Uh, It was to the point where Saban kicked off this mass uh, merry-go-round. And then, of course, it was Washington, then Arizona, and on and on. Are you happy that Michigan promoted from within, even if there's going to be some changes, 
because it stopped the crazy of what was going on for so many days? <laughs> Boy, this is a great question. And I got to be honest, I have to acknowledge my bias here, right? Because, you know, I'm, I'm a son of Columbus. And so, you know, there's me being happy for what what this might mean for the industry or what this might mean for athletes. But, you know, I have a little bit of self-interest here. Uh-huh. The, the, I think the Michigan hire decision is so fascinating because so many people that were the architects and managers of that Michigan program are leaving with Jim Harbaugh. It's not just Harbaugh that's leaving. It's Jesse Minter's leaving. And so I'll say that Michigan strength and conditioning coach is leaving and yep. they've got other assistants leaving. And typically when you have a whole sca- wholesale, you know, brain drain or, or regime change, you don't make a continuity hire. Like if you're going to lose four of your top seven guys, then maybe it would make sense to bring in somebody from the outside because it's going to be very difficult to maintain exactly what you built, especially given how senior heavy and NFL drafty heavy that Michigan roster was. Now, we saw more as a play caller this season. We saw more as ability to develop a culture. You know, guy beat Ohio State, won every, won, uh, every game that, that he was on the sidelines for, including you know, Michigan's overwhelmingly two most difficult Big Ten games. So like, I, I, you can't look at, look at what he did and say that he's not, he's not qualified. I, I hope he's successful, especially because, you know, I'm, I'm always happy, you know, knowing how hard it is for so many African-American men to get head coaching positions. In college football, you know, you're, you're happy when one of them is able to go to, to get a job that he very clearly earned. But it's a, it's just a very different calculus from what all the other major programs did here. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if Michigan has a relatively short lease, especially because their schedule is hard yep. next year. They've got Texas. They've got um, Penn State. They've got Washington. They've got Ohio State. I think they have one of the L.A. trips there. You know, they had some pretty easy – schedules both out of conference and in conference these past couple of years this could be a team where michigan goes eight and five and misses the playoff not because Moore's is not a great coach but it's just a regression after losing so many players and now having a schedule change and i think it would be unfair if he gets uh you know maybe maybe blamed a little bit too much for that you know matt great news on you and your your company as you move in with uh, somebody else who's going to allow you to be who you are you do a great job. It's always a great segment when we get you. We appreciate your time, and have a great rest of your week. Hey, thanks, gentlemen. I appreciate the support and kind words. Look forward to us chatting again real soon. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.